Dre Campbell. Elder Campbell is currently married to his lovely wife, Elisa Campbell. They have been married for six years. The Lord has blessed their union with two children, two boys, Joseph, who's four years old, and Jordan, who's one year old. They presently reside in Northern California and both work for the Northern California SDA Conference. Elder Campbell is a graduate of Pacific Union College and holds a bachelor's degree of science in theology. He's currently working on his master's degree in business administration. After our sacred selection, the next voice that you will hear is your own Elder DeAndre Campbell. Hear ye him. Give me Jesus. fact, I get in trouble when I'm at Real Indo Adventist Academy, and they say, D, say, I'm going home. And they say, well, this is your home. I said, yes, but um, there's a place that, that did a lot for me in this church. And 
I appreciate that. It's always a good place to be at on a Friday night, on a Sabbath night in the pulpit. Um, and I thank you guys for inviting me, Dr. Rock, and thank you for extending the invitation uh, for me to come down here. My wife wishes she can be here, but right now she is at home wrestling at this time trying to put a four-year-old in a bathtub <laughs> and listening to a one-and-a-half-year-old scream while he has to go down by himself in the crib. So <laughs> we'll pray for her while she is also preparing for her Thanksgiving feast in her kindergarten classroom. Um, she has the true job out of the two of us. I get to sit in an office and introduce people to Real Lindo Adventist Academy while she tuck this down. Is that what you're saying? Oh, turn the mic down. Is that better? Oh, it's not on? I'm sorry. Use the state. This mic is fine. Okay. The, the privilege of being involved in Seventh day Adventist education is that Seventh day Adventists give us the opportunity to then give back to other young people. In my life, I now work at Real Lindo Adventist Academy, which is the boarding school for Northern California. And um, I have the opportunity to be in young people's lives every day. It seems, like, um, it seems like I have the opportunity to help them receive what this place gave me. I'd like to give a special thanks out to people such as Sister Richie, who, while some of you don't know, while I was in college, every day, I mean every month, and Monique, you could probably attest to this too, sent me a little envelope with uh, $10 bills in it um, and told me it was for laundry. I didn't have the heart to tell her that laundry was free, so <laughs> Sister Richie, I might owe you some money later on. We, we have to discuss that. <laughs> also, my, my family um, who resides in this church, they also supported me, and also Dr. Rock and his family by extending a scholarship to me every year uh, while I was at Pacific Union College, which enabled me to be able to uh, stay there on a year-by-year -year basis. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I just wanna thank you for this opportunity. I want to acknowledge your presence here. Not only acknowledge it, but give you a formal invitation to be here with us tonight, to be in our hearts, to be with your words, to give us comfort in knowing that you will soon return to collect those that have diligently served you and is waiting to see you face to face. And all of these things we ask and say in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Education is a privilege. As a matter of fact, I remember reading in some books just recently that I was reading a story about a slave. And while this slave was hungering for education, they did what they called wanting to learn letters. While writing in the ground, he would form a letter, and they would practice understanding what the A was. They would say A, and they would return it. Someone else would say, I think that's what they say when they say ah. 
And they chose all these different letters writing in the dust. But education was not something that their masters wanted them to have. As a matter of fact, this same slave was caught teaching some of his other fellow slaves these things that they called letters. In return, was had his hand cut off to teach him a lesson. As a matter of fact, as time went on, education for people of our hue was not permitted. They segregated them at a time. They told them that they were too dumb to learn anything. They were whipped. Some had bottles thrown at them, cursed, and they gave them a different name. Education was a privilege. As a matter of fact, Lucifer himself understood education as being one of the pinnacles, one of the greatest things that God had given us. As a matter of fact, he used education to misinform heavenly beings about the character of God. A great biblical writer by the name of Ellen White tells us that it was the miseducation of God's character that's brought about sin. Education was a privilege. The people, as they went on in Jesus' Jesus's times, the Pharisees saw education as a must. As a matter of fact, they were some of the most learned people of that time. It was Nicodemus who, was, who, had, come up to, uh, who had come up to Jesus and while learning what was speaking with Jesus, understood everything that the people had taught him at that time. Education was a key. The Pharisees were so educated that they understood everything in the scripture during that time. Education was a privilege, but they misunderstood one thing, that education alone is only another weapon that the devil can use. Education without coupled with God, education without coupled with faith was nothing but a mistool. The, my wife and I live on the boarding academy at Rio Lindo Adventist Academy and um, I was pretty much raised for three years of my life across the street. As a matter of fact, sometimes I go over there and um, the apartment that my mom had with my younger brother, uh, Errol and myself, where it's the second bottom floor apartment on the ground level over there. And um, I remember riding my big wheels as a child around that circle and we had once found these um, mushrooms and I remember myself and all the other kids in that area used to pretend that the Smurfs lived there and we would hunt the Smurfs. It was a great time over there. There wasn't bars to keep us in or to keep crime out, whatever they have it up for now. It, we never knew we had a bad life. And one day a woman walked across the street and she knocked on my mom's door and she invited her and her two little boys to come over to this church across the street over here, right across next door to you guys, which at that time was named Highland Square, and said, I have a program for your boys. It's called Pathfinders. We walked over here, and as we got over to the Pathfinder program, my, they also told my mom, we have a program for you. It's called a revival, a Bible study. And at that time, uh, I remember, some of you probably remember this too, that my mom came back. She was so proud and excited one day. And uh, Dr. Rock, this probably goes back to, you probably know exactly what this was. They had, she had won, and I think they did this for everyone. She had won this big brick, this red brick and she called it a Bible. 
And she brought this big red Bible and she put it in the center of our coffee table. And my brother and I, we remember we were sitting there watching Dukes of Hazard, as we did on Thursday nights at 7.30. And, and she laid this big red brick down and she was like, oh, so proud about it, jumping up and down, so excited, her first Bible. And I was like, what is this thing? And I remember as soon as every night on Thursday night, she would send my brother and I to the room. She was like, you guys go in the room, go to sleep. By 8 o'clock, we'd be in the bed going to sleep. And we would always hear this show that would come on right afterwards. And it had this theme. I forget how the theme music went, but it had this guy by the name of J.R. Ewing in it. She would watch Dallas religiously. But that night, when Dukes of Hazard went off, we went into our room, and we didn't hear the theme music of Dallas. And I remember my brother and I turning over to each other like, man, something's going on. We should go check on Mama. He would sneak out. We checked out. And, and sure enough, there was our mom sitting in the living room, had this big red book open, and she was reading from it. As time went on, she would then become baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and she would um, be right across here, and she would bring us here every Saturday. And I remember the day when she told us no more bacon, and my face almost, what, are you talking about no bacon? She told us no more meat. She told us we couldn't do a whole bunch of things, and I thought, this is not for me. My brother Earl took hold of it real strong, and at the age of 11, as time went on, he became baptized in his church. And, and I remember he gave his first sermon over there at the age of 15. And I remember sitting in the pews and not too into the church at that time. And the name of his sermon, it stuck with me so strong, it's called Fat Man Greasy. And he'll have to tell you about it one day. When you guys get him back in these doors, you'll have to let him explain it to you. But I remember standing over there, listening to my brother preach, and I'm not understanding why it is that he's so into this religion, so into this God. I saw it as an opposition. I saw it as something that was against me. As time went on, um, we moved away from this area. My mom had married a man. We moved over into an area on 2234 Matheson Street. It was owned by Brother Everson. For the first time, my brother and I had the privilege of living in our own separate rooms. Although I was a scary individual, my brother, he was so excited to have his own room, I couldn't stand it. So at night, I would go creep into his room and sleep in the bed with him. And yes, I am the older brother, and it is kind of embarrassing as time goes on. But our life was starting to get better, better as we knew it. My mom had evangelized my aunts. They had started to come into this church. And before I knew it, I had family members that was all involved in this church. But I never, it never took hold of me. I would then later on, as time, got older, uh, time went on, we moved to the east side. And I remember being influenced by my friends to join gangs and, and be involved in things that just really that just really interested me at that time. I remember being put on the set. I remember having an empty feeling in my life. By the time I was at 18, excuse me, let me take a step back. At 17, my mom had wanted to get me into a place where I can do better. I had been kicked out of El Dorado High School on the east side, and I couldn't go to any correctional school on this side, so she shipped me off to San Diego, where I went to my where I went to a boarding school called San Pasquale Academy. It was an Adventist school, and it had at that time, it had two of our students from this church, Ian Sean Smith and his sister Janine. And while there, the only A I got in my whole life was in Bible. Now, I don't understand how I did. I just knew, yeah, I remember hearing those stories at Pathfinders, and I remember hearing those stories in Sabbath school and all that kind of stuff. 
just for the next year to be kicked out of there. I came back here to Las Vegas my senior year and was told I would not graduate high school because I could not pass the math proficiency exam. So ashamed, they let me walk. And I remember for the first time in my life feeling embarrassed and feeling like a fraud as I walked down the Thomas and Mac with my rope and gown, my uh, cap and gown on, and I walked up there and I received an empty diploma. At the age of 18, I was basically a high school dropout, a gang member, a failure in so many different ways. During that time, the biggest opposition I had, the biggest problem I had, is that I can read at a fourth grade reading level. My life, as I knew it, was in trouble. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. But only, let, but only let us hold truth to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many whom I, for many whom I have often told you and tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ." Their end is in their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I say, Elisa, honey, three years ago, one of the biggest events was happening in the world. And, and we have this agreement. I can buy the NFL package. I love the San Diego Chargers. I love uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. I love the San Diego Padres. And I'm a huge, diehard Olympic fan. As a matter of fact, my aunt, is, uh, she fashions herself in her own mind as a world-class runner. Actually, I'm pretty sure she can beat me right now. And I love track and field. And I remember sitting there and I was speaking to my wife. I was like, honey, I, wanna, I want to be able to see the Olympics that are happening in China. I said, can I go and I purchase the Olympic package? And she said, oh, no, you can't. She says, uh, you can either have the NFL package or you can have the Olympic package. You choose. I said, well, baby, I work hard. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in here just like, I don't care. You can either have one of the two. And I said, all right. So, so. I started thinking of ways to start calling my dad. Hey, dad, can I borrow $50? I'll pay you back in a couple years. 
called my brother, hey, Earl, you got like $25. And I got all this money together. And I was like, hey, honey, if I come up with the money, can I have both? She says, if you can come up with the money, you can have both. So I ordered the, I ordered the uh, Olympic package. And, and if you guys can remember, this was one of the biggest track and field events that was happening in all of the Olympic history. As a matter of fact, for the U.S. As a matter of fact, the U.S. was favored to win in track and field relay. They were favored to win in the 101. They were favored to win every track and field event that was out there. And I was so excited. And, and as it happened, I was sitting down, and it was about 3 o'clock in the, in the morning. I had to get up very early to watch this event. And I'm sitting there in my living room, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching. And these eight individuals came out, and they had just had this big history event on them. And they said these eight individuals had spent the last seven years of their lives training for this one moment. They had watched what they had drunk. They watched how many, they watched how many steps they took in a day. They knew exactly the amount of calories that they would eat in each meal. They knew how many hours to sleep exactly. They had trained their bodies for this one event, and the time had come. Eight, for eight years, they had, for seven years, they had done this, and finally the event was happening. The men got on the, um, the men, they got up, up first. The men were ready to go. And the, I can remember the announcers standing, and the announcers are saying, this is one of the proudest moments in the U.S. history. It's not about if they're going to win the gold. It's how much, about how much they're going to win the gold. Now, they had strategically placed these four individuals in different spots on the track. The first person was made to get off the jump with the quickest step. The second person was made to, just in case the first person got a bad start, was made to increase any type of loss that they might have had. The third person, he was made to maintain the pace. And the fourth person was the fastest person on the track to bring home the gold. There it was. They were off. The guy was off the start. I mean, the gun shot, and you can hear the announcer, oh, he's off the start. It's a great move. He's going record pace. And he gets the baton. He's running as fast as he can. He hands the baton to the second person. The second person is noticing that he doesn't need to increase any speed because no one's close to him, but he's like, I'm going for the record. And he starts moving as fast as he can. His arms pumping, sweat happening. He hands the baton to the third person. The third guy, he's moving around the corner. He's maintaining the pace. And as he gets to the fourth person, Justin Gatlin, he reaches back his hand to grab the baton, and what do you think happened? The baton hit the ground. They looked at him. And I don't know if you've ever been to China, but I just got back from there. There's a lot of people over there. And the people were in the stands, and they said, oh, and they sound like an earthquake. And I remember I'm sitting on my couch, and this is how I watch sports. I'm all energetic, and I was, you know, as if I got one of my brothers next to me. I was like, oh, did you see that? Oh, nobody, who be quiet, you're going to wake up the baby. <laughs> and I sat there, and I thought, this cannot be happening. The announcer says, you won't believe this. The man U.S. Olympic team is disqualified from the gold. And I thought, oh, my goodness. The women... They're walking out, and the men are coming back. Their heads are down. They look like tears are in their eyes. And the women, they start walking past them, and they're looking at them like, what's wrong with them, brothers? You know, this should have been a cinch. Well, I wonder what happened. And they line up. The women are lined up in their same positions, same roles, and they're off. The gun goes off. The first girl, she's off the block, and, I mean, and the girls were moving. Gets the baton to the second girl. She's moving as fast as she can. She's coming around that corner. She's pumping her arms. She gets the baton to the third girl. The third girl's moving. She's going as fast as she can. The third girl reaches her hand out to the fourth girl. The fourth girl reaches back. And what do you think happened? She dropped the baton. 
For the first time in the history of the Olympics, since it was created, a country from the same team, both of their teams were disqualified. Both of their teams were disqualified. Remember that story. Paul is sitting in a jail cell. Sitting in a jail cell, hands tied together, chained from his legs to his hands, and he is sitting there, and I can imagine him writing this story, writing this letter to the Philippians, understanding, telling them, brothers and sisters, hold on to what you have been taught. Remember the things that I had preached to you. Know that the devil will come at you in so many different ways to make you misunderstand, to make you misrepresent, to make you miss show God's character. And as he says this, he gives three key advice. He tells them, first things first, brothers. I don't care what your past was. I don't care what your history was. Forget what lies behind you. Forget what lies behind you. My aunt came to me, and she walked up to me, and she said, do you want the opportunity to have a job that will give you a career? And when she said that to me, I was pretty much at the state that I was high out of my mind. My mom had begged her to come over, begged her to give me an opportunity, and she took me up to this place. She told me to get showered and dressed, and she put me in a car, she took me up to this place, all the way off on Rainbow, I lived all the way out by Nellis at that time. I was staying with my friend, DeMarlo, who was one of my closest friends. And I drove, she drove me all the way over there, and they took me in this room, and we had this interview. Now, I thought when I got there, I would be interviewing to help clean up the place. And this, 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 this Caucasian man came out, and he looked at me, my afro all out, pants hanging down, my tattered up white Junior Seau jersey on, and he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here because my auntie brought me here. As he looked at me, he laughed. He says, well, I know how you got here. I want to know what it is that you want to do here. And I said, well, I think I want to make some money. And he smiled and, and laughed. And he said, do you know anything about this? And he put me in front of a computer. And I said, I don't really, I mean, I had one when I was young. And he says, but do you know anything about playing video games? I said, oh, man, I know everything about playing video games. I do that every day. And he says, well, let me see if you can beat this game. And he put this game in front of me, and I started playing this game. And, and it took me maybe about, um, I don't know, maybe an hour. And I finally got through with this game, and he came back. He's like, okay, I want you to tell me what exploits you saw in this game. And I started looking at the game, and I was like, I guess I saw this exploit and, and that exploit. And he was like, okay, those are what we call bugs. How would you like to work for this company testing this game and finding bugs? And I stepped back. I said, are you serious? <laughs> I said, you are going to pay me money to play this game? He says, well, there's going to have to be some changes, but yeah. And I thought, all right, shoot, it's fine. 
I remember going home, I told my brother, and he, and he was next. He came up there, and this guy hired him, and, and, he, and he hired another person from this church by the name of Al Springfield. He hired him, and he hired a couple of other my friends, and there was all of us sitting in this room learning how to uh, test these video games. While I was doing that, there was another Caucasian man, a guy from Europe, who had come up to me and taken interest in me. He was the vice president of this company, and as he came up to me, he says, hey, I want you to do me a favor. Um, I want you to read off these, these, book, these uh, bugs for me. And I remember I started reading them, and, and he was like, D, can you read? And I said, well, Steve, I can read somewhat, but, you know, I mean, I can read enough. And for the next three years, this man would bring me into his office and help me read. He would give me Reader Digest books and say, read these. He would let me sit across from his desk, teaching me everything he knew about the industry, teaching me everything he knew about electronic arts. He would then, I would then go on and do just great things there because he had given me an opportunity. And the key words he told me was, you need to forget your past. He had no idea by him teaching me how to read, I would start reading other books and that one day my mom would show up at my house with a book entitled Pilgrim's Progress. I would read that book Pilgrim's Progress and by the age, by that time I was at the age of 24, I had started that at the age of 18 and I'd gotten to the age of 24 and by the age of 24 I had finished reading Pilgrim's Progress, by then I was up to an eighth grade reading level and he had convinced me to go back to adult education to get my high school diploma. After reading Pilgrim's Progress, I was convinced that there was something more in life, and I started to remember there was this such thing as Adventist church, and all these type of things started to flow back in my mind. As a matter of fact, I went to a friend's church. There was some one of those, there were one of those churches where um, it was just different. As a matter of fact, I was just strange. There was some strange stuff going on there. And I remember my mom then came to me with this book called Desire of Ages. And I read through that book in almost three weeks. I just couldn't put it down. And I remember she telling me that, you know, you got ants that pray for you that would come up to these type of altars and put my name before it. After that, Pastor Goodlow would educate me about Seventh-day Adventists. He would educate me about Christian policies. And then he would encourage me to go to Oakwood College. I know, Dr. Rock, your alma mater. But thank goodness Sister Rock's dad went to Pacific Union College, isn't that right? I decided to go to Pacific Union College, taking my time there to learn theology. As I was going through it though, my heart started to get proud. I thought that education was all I needed. As a matter of fact, I was, I was starting to impress myself. I could not only read English, but I can actually read Greek. And then I could read, well, I think I could read it, Hebrew. I knew I couldn't speak it. And I remember starting to think that, man, I've got it. I'm starting to get this. I really understand this stuff. I'm really on it. I'm starting to change the way I speak, trying to change the way I act. But while studying theology, I was leaving my faith behind. I remember standing on my knees one night and God showing me that my heart was becoming hardy. 
education can be a weapon as much as it can be a privilege. The devil stood before the angels and told them God was a liar. The devil stood with that thought in his heart so deeply that the Bible says a third of the angels fell with him. Miseducation is even more dangerous than no education. But let it be known that when you try to take hold of the truth, when you try to take hold of what God has put before you, that the devil will try to discourage you. Paul was one of the most learned people of that time. He had to relearn everything he knew about God. God had to blind him, knock him off a horse, put him in a basket, let him go learn theology for three and a half years by himself in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, Paul, when the disciples said, where did you get this theology from? He said, I was taught by no one but Jesus Christ himself. And you say, how could that be? Because when Paul came on the scene, Jesus had already returned from heaven. I don't know, but that is what the scripture says. This theology, this gospel, he said, I learned from Jesus himself. Truly, ed true education comes from no one but God the Father. Privilege to us to be learned through his son, Jesus Christ. Forget what lies behind. As a matter of fact, he keeps going on. He says, to remember your citizenship. Now, there's always a cool privilege I get to have when I walk around. Uh, I go and meet people, and they say, hi, my name is such and such. And I say, hi, my name is DeAndre. And they say, oh, where are you from? And I say, oh, I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. And they say, oh. And I said, oh. And they said, but I thought you were the person that was just preaching up there. I was like, yeah, yeah. They said, but they have seven, they have, they have Christians in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was like, oh, yeah, we got tons of Christians in Las Vegas, Nevada. What are you talking about? Said, but which hotel do you live in? I'm like, whoa, wait a second, we got houses. <laughs> and, and I start to think, like, man, where did they get that idea? But it's true what Paul is saying, remember your citizenship. Because as soon as you tell someone where you're from, they then do what? They attribute something to you. When you tell someone that, hey, I'm from Alabama, they start listening for your accent. You tell them that you're from New York, they ask, where's your Yankee jersey? When you tell someone that your citizenship resides with God, I wonder the type of impact that that has. As a matter of fact, Paul says, forget what lies behind. If things start getting rough, remember your citizenship. Remember your citizenship is where, Paul? Remember your citizenship is in heaven with God. As a matter of fact, I can take it even a step further. Your citizenship is not in heaven with God. Your citizenship is not here on the earth made new. The Bible says in Revelations that we follow the lamb wheresoever he goeth. So your citizenship is not in heaven, it's not on the earth, but it's wherever Jesus goes. We're the following people. The Bible says that we follow him through eternity. What a privilege is that? That your citizenship resides with the one who made you. Remember your citizenship. 
He goes on and, and he gets to this part where he starts telling them to press on toward the upward calling, press on towards the mark. As a matter of fact, this man was such of a man that people all over the world revered him. They loved him. They thought of him to be one of the greatest people ever. They gave him the Nobel Peace Prize. And one day he was standing, he was going to do a signing, a book signing thing. Uh, excuse me, it wasn't a book signing thing. He was going to sign some things. And he was standing there in this long line in New York. And this, this woman, this crazy woman who happened to be black, ran up to him. And she reached out, as he reached out to shake her hand, with her other hand, she reached back and threw a knife into his chest. And there he's laid on the ground looking up at her. The people ran over to the man and they looked at him and they turned and they said, someone call an ambulance. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has just been stabbed. They grab him up. They put him in the ambulance. They get him to the hospital. And the doctor looks at him and the doctor says, sir, you almost died today. Let me, let me help you understand how much you almost came close to death. That had you have sneezed, you would have died. The woman had caught him so close to her, his aorta valve that had he had sneezed, he would have died. He, he went on, and, and, and as he was in the hospital, all these letters came flooding in. But he says there was only one letter that he remembered. It came from a 14-year-old Caucasian girl from the South. And she says, Dr. Martin Luther King, my mom told me what happened to you. And I'm here to say, sir, that I'm happy you did not sneeze. He then went on in one of his famous speeches. He started to speak and he said, I am so happy that day that the Lord did not allow me to sneeze. For had I had sneezed, I would not have been able to be in the, these southern rallies and watch these young black men walk and stand in the street. And as they stood there and pray, having bottles thrown at their head, I'm so happy I didn't sneeze. I'm so happy that I did not sneeze, for I would have never been able to march to the nation's capital and tell you all about how I want to see equality, how I want to see love, and how I want to see peace and how I want to see God's kingdom here on this earth. I'm so happy I did not sneeze, for had I had sneezed, I would have never been able to tell you how I am so fortunate to have been at the mountaintop. And he ended that sermon by saying, my eyes have seen the coming of the Lord. Just a few days later, to be gunned down on a balcony. The one thing he remembered always, the one thing he preached always, was that Jesus was the way. He pressed on towards his upper calling in Christ Jesus. The baton hit the ground, it rattled. My eyes kind of shook and I thought, this is strange. But then something equally strange happened. The girl looked at the baton, hit the ground, and she stopped in full speed, hit the brakes, turned around, ran back full speed to where the baton was rattling on the ground, picked up the baton, about faced it, and ran as fast as she could towards the finish line. 
As she got to the finish line, all the people were quiet. No one was congratulating the winners. The camera people ran past them and ran up to her and they said, why did you do this? Why did you pick up the baton? It didn't matter whether you picked it up or not. You're already disqualified. What purpose did it serve for you to go ahead and complete the race? And she looked, she stood there with tears in her eyes and she looked right into the camera and she said, I didn't come here to only win the gold. I came to finish the race. And I thought to myself, wow. And it reminded me of when the three of them get together. Because when they get together, it's like, a, it's like a party that all of us want to experience. And as a matter of fact, they got together this one time, and one turned to the other, and it said, let us create something. And the father said to the son, sure, let us create. And the spirit said, the spirit came down to the earth and hovered above it. And the sun came down here to an earth that was void, and he started to create. He started to create the trees and the birds. He separated the firmaments. He made the land just right. And the Bible says that he took mud, hardened it to clay, formed it and shaped it, stood it up and breathed in it. And when he breathed in it, the Bible said that it became a living soul. This being began to move and, 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 and communicate with him. And, and God did one of the greatest privileges to this being. It was not just to create it, but he began to educate it. He told him of all the things that he was and all the things that he had dominion of. And he, and he named him Adam. He saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and so he created from him Eve. And he gave them dominion over everything that they saw. And as they did this, God came down here on a daily basis and communicated, educated them about his good love, but told them that there was one thing, one thing that was death to them. They took the baton and they dropped it. But the type of God that we serve is such a good God that he picked it up. And see, when he picked it up, he gave it to this brother that we call uh, Abraham. And Abraham, he was a soul runner. He moved all over digging wells and, and, and getting, the, getting the world ready for these type of things. And, he had, and Abraham had a son named Isaac. And, and as Abraham got too old to the point where he couldn't run with the duties that God had given him anymore, he passed that baton over to Isaac. And, and Isaac, Isaac was a runner too. As a matter of fact, he was such a runner that he would run up a hill with his father one day and lay on an altar for what God had given him. And as he got to the point where he was too old to run with it anymore, he handed the baton over to his son Jacob. And Jacob 
Jacob was a crazy young man. He had crazy ideas, and he, and, and he got confused at times. But at the end of his life, he still ran with all, the God, with all of God in his heart. And as he got to the point where he couldn't run with it anymore, he gave it to Joseph. And I could see Joseph running all around the pyramids, preaching God's word. And as Joseph got to the point where he couldn't run with it anymore, he gave it over to Moses. And Moses was a strong runner. He was the leader of the Pharaoh's armies. Moses was the one that would stand before a burning bush and told him to take his sandals off. And as he got to the point where he was standing over a sea, and I could see him reaching out his arm, preaching the word of God and letting the sea open up, he got to the point where he couldn't run with it anymore. And I could see him handing it over to that little boy that stood at the bottom of the mountain, the bottom of the mountain that always wanted to hear him preach Joshua. And he handed the baton to Joshua, and Joshua was a great preacher, and he took the people into the promised land. And as he got to the point where he couldn't run with it anymore, he handed it over to the judges, and the judges, there was one judge who had great, long, beautiful hair, and he kept his hair so strong, and he would kill people with a, with a, with a jawbone. And as Samson got to the point where he couldn't run with it anymore, he handed it over to David. Now, David was a pro runner with it. He had it so good that he would throw the slingshot at the giant's head. The giant would fall down. It would come back, the baton. He would run with that baton, and he got to the point where he couldn't run with it anymore. And they handed it down, and they handed it down, and they handed it down to the point where humanity could no longer run with the baton, and Jesus himself came here and with one hand reached out on the cross and took hold of that baton and with another hand reached up to his heavenly father and connected us if you so choose to be for eternity. The gospel is a gift that is free beyond any measure. Everyone that you know, everyone in the sound of my voice can be saved. Will they choose to be? The father and the mother got together and they said to each other, Honey, it is time for us to increase our family. And as the mother was, the father was really excited about this news, and, and his wife, they had gotten everything, they were financially set. They got to the point where they were ready to have a child, and, and the mother became pregnant, and, and they were so excited, and, and they had painted the nursery both type of colors, pink if it was a girl, blue if it was a boy. And the date came. The woman laid in the hospital. And as she began to give birth, there were some complications. The child was coming out and was being choked by the mother's umbilical cord. The cord, the doctors had noticed it far too late. And as they noticed it, they looked over and they quickly performed an emergency C-section and got the child out. But the child was oxygen dead to its brain. They gave, they gave the child all the things that they needed, and the child began to breathe and began to move around, but the doctor noticed that there was something off. He then told the mother and the father that, here's your son, but I want to tell you that your son will never walk. Your son will never communicate. Your son will never talk in life. The mother and the father looked at each other and they took the child home. 
when they got the child home, they began to raise the child as any other, as any other normal child. They would play with him and love him. And they noticed a program. There was a program that they placed this child in. And, and as the program began to, as technology began to increase, the child was able to get to the point where he was actually able to communicate. So they, they decided, well, let's try to put him in school. They placed the child in school. The child went from kindergarten to first grade to second to third to fourth, all this time doing what the doctors had told them that the child would never be able to do, and that's communicate, and that's to learn. Finally, the child graduates high school, and before he goes to college, he looks, and he's on his computer, and he tells his dad, he types in the words, Dad, would you do one thing for me? And the father said, yes, son, anything. What, what is it? He says, I want to run a race. The father looked at the son, and he said, son, you can't walk. What do you mean you want to run a race? Dad, I want, to, I want to run a race. Can we play the video, please? They're not going to be possible. Elder.
strengthens us. We have a heart condition, a heart problem called sin. The Father is willing to run the race with you if you let him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for examples like Team Hoyt. We thank you for examples that you have given us in your word. We thank you for the best example, Jesus, known as the Christ. We pray now, Father, that you will give us the ability to listen to how you're trying to educate us about you. For the true education comes from him who has given education to us given us education so that we can then in turn give it back to all the rest of creation. You tell us in, in her writing that we will be forever, ever learning about the cross. I pray that that education will start here and that we will then in turn give it back to all people so that they can know more about you, Father. We love you. We pray for our mistakes. And we ask for your grace. And I must say thank you for giving it. Thank you for the privilege of letting us know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your one and only begotten Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Glad you came tonight.